This is the intro song for my asshole brain. <laughs> this is my asshole brain episode eight. And the topic of today's episode is pain. And so we have invited our friend Christine to come talk to us with her experiences with living with chronic pain, which is something that affects about one third of the population in the United States and is something that is largely misunderstood or just completely not understood by the medical community um, as they try to find out ways for people to deal with it and treat it. And as many people are pretty probably aware of, that misunderstanding has led to an opioid crisis, which we might steer into that conversation a little bit later, um, because a lot of the times that the options people have for themselves when it comes to dealing with chronic pain comes in the form of opioids, which are highly addictive. So when you're dealing with pain, not only are you dealing with the consequences of having that pain and everything that that involves, the truth of the matter is the state that we're in is that we don't have a lot of good options for people other than things that are bad for them or are highly addictive. And which is one of the reasons why people continue to suffer with it instead of getting the treatment that they need because there's just not a lot of great treatments out there. And um, the, there is also a large impact on the brain of people who suffer from chronic pain. When you're in pain a lot, it actually changes how your brain functions. And it also creates a lot of mental health issues because I think most people would understand when you're dealing with pain a lot, you tend to suffer from depression and anxiety, but then that, that depression and anxiety can also increase the pain. So it becomes a very vicious cycle When you also run result. into the issue of people that have lots of chronic pain issues, especially if it affects mobility, they're more, more, less likely to get outside to do things to see people. So you get the depression from being isolated, mm -hmm. and then you know you run into the thing of people getting agoraphobia because they are out so little, and then when they try to do it, it turns like right you said, because vicious cycle. Most of this stuff that people are are told to do in order to deal with depression and anxiety become difficult to do when you have chronic pain. Yeah, and so it just becomes this thing that compounds. And as I said before, different parts of your brain are active when you are dealing with chronic pain. And it also can actually change what they call neuroplasticity in regards to how your brain functions and how neurons talk to each other. It can actually shrink parts of your brain. So it becomes something that's not just, oh, I hurt and this really sucks. It actually changes the way your brain functions. And it's not always permanent. If you can get the pain under control, sometimes you can change those effects, but it just compounds the problems that you have. So it's not just a matter of suck it up and ignore it, which, so this is gonna lead me into the conversation with Christine because you have several issues that cause chronic pain for you. So it's not like you have just one thing, right? So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have arthritis in both my ankles, arthritis in my knee, herniated disc in my back. Um, I get migraines. Uh, my brain isn't fused correctly, so it's a little off. It's a little weird. Like, I don't ever remember a time where I've not been in pain. 
Well, then I just want to say thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope it doesn't increase your pain. I hope it doesn't. So is this something then that you do remember having dealt with your entire life? Uh, probably, yeah. Probably around middle school is when my pain started. But as a kid, it's, you know, people say it's growing pains. And mm-hmm. I was a clut. So I probably twisted my ankle once every six months. Um, so there was those things, but as you're growing up, you fall off a bike, you hurt yourself, but then it, you know, in high school it started compounding and then in college it grew. And now as, you know, in my forties, it's, I'm reverting back to this, like almost like an 80 year old. My, my orthopedist said I have ankles of an 80 year old. Just because <laughs> Was he hitting on you? <laughs> <laughs> He's probably like, okay, that's going to be a nice little bill. Um, so there aren't, you know, there's not many options for someone who, who's in early, the middle ages, I guess, and looks healthy, but um, is not. So. And how much, so is some of that genetic then? Yes. Okay. Now, I do, there is some genetic c- correlation, um, and I actually just filled out a survey for, um, children of Vietnam veterans who were affected by Agent Orange. Um, There has been issues with children. Um, They're mutate, the the parents, in the case of my father, he had some gene mutations while he was working with Agent Orange and they were passed down to me. Um, Like I had extra bones in my feet, which is, you know, it happens, but compounded on everything else like my weak back and um depression is some of it and so it's just it's very interesting to see the role that my genetics and my sister who surprisingly enough doesn't have the same issues so I don't know how much you know that has affected my constant pain And so what have you been told by medical professionals or prescribed by medical professionals to either do or take in order to deal with the pain? Um, So for my arthritis, I've been through many physical therapy appointments. Um, They say lose weight, stay active, but when your ankles have no cushion, when your knees have no cushion, I can't just go out there and, you know, walk five miles or... Go for a jog. Yeah, I can't do that. I have to find something low impact, Um, but low impact doesn't necessarily really help, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been on Tramadol, which I'm still on, um, Flexeril for muscle relaxation, and then I have my depression medication that I'm on. I I avoid any heavy narcotics just because over the years, because of the the issues with heroin and Mm -hmm. big pharma, everybody's like, oh, you know, they're pushing out Oxycontin and everybody's addicted. Mm -hmm. Um, Doctors are more apt to not prescribe you a pain medication that could help. Um, tramadol isn't technically an opioid, but it is under the classification because it's um, not man-made. It, it's a oh no, it is man-made, and it is addictive. But I'm at such a low dose just so I can just 
wake up in the morning and walk. My mom takes that same cocktail, the tramadol, the flex roll, and then she has our antidepressants and stuff. And we actually, she went to the dentist the other week and they were going to give her like Vicodin or something afterward. And she said she takes tramadol regularly and they were like, that actually probably will be fine. They said it's, and they actually consider it to be one of the least addictive because mainly I think because people do tend to take lower doses than they do with some of the higher stuff. But they said that, because my mom's been on tramadol for probably 15 years now, maybe 20. And wow, she's not addicted to it. Like, I mean, she's in pain and she doesn't take it, but it isn't one of these things where like she goes through withdrawal if she stops taking it. And I think they are very fond of that medication for that reason. I, I also have a unique um, issue is I metabolize medication so slowly. So when I threw out my back the first time and they gave me morphine, it didn't even affect it. I wasn't just, you know, some people get one shot of morphine, they're just out. Mm-hmm. And I was still writhing in pain. So they actually had to move up to Dilaudid, which helped finally but i just metabolize things slowly so if someone can take a like one vicodin and be great i can't do that mm-hmm. i take one vicodin and it may not take effect for four or five hours but when you're in constant pain all the time you want instant yeah. gratification in four or five hours it's yeah. like an eternity yeah yeah so and i'm just afraid if i ever stepped over and onto the other side i guess mm-hmm. then, oh, yes. um the addiction i'm i'm fearful for the addiction because it's it's been like driven into our brains that don't take pain medications because you're going to get addicted, and you're going to go to heroin, and then you're going to die. I mean, that's yeah. the narrative that's been out there. Well, and especially in Dayton. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so out of control, and it's, I've talked to so many people who the person they know or the people they have in their lives that have gotten addicted, that's exactly how it started. They had ankle surgery, and then, you know, they got on the medication, and then six months later, they were still taking all the pain meds, and then it just continued from there so yeah we are very much taught stay away from anything severe if you don't have to take it power through because you hear these cautionary tales but there's a reason to be cautious because i i was looking up some numbers on this because you hear a lot about how dayton's kind of like the the i don't know it's that it's heroin so much because you hear a lot about fentanyl fentanyl now so but there is a huge opioid crisis in across the nation but certainly in in montgomery county as well I saw something a couple weeks ago. Americans now are more likely to to die from an opioid overdose than from a car accident. That's how bad it has gotten. Well, and, and they're also saying that the overall life expectancy for Americans has, in the last few years, actually decreased for the first time in, I'm not sure how long, because of the opioid crisis. They said our life expectancy, it's something, you know, like point so many years. Mm-hmm. It's not like five years. Right, so it's but not like we're actu- cutting off decades, yeah. but it's But they still- are actually seeing the last two years they have reported that the life expectancy has decreased. Well, that's because actually... Because our crisis has gotten so bad because there are so many overdoses. Well, first of all, let me get some statistics on the addiction, which I found really interesting because a lot of times when people talk about the addicts themselves, they picture them as just being kind of like the dregs of society. Like we like to cast these people who are having these overdoses as people who were, who've always been addicts, right? But the truth of the matter is that's not the case. Many, many, many of these people who are overdosing, whether they die from it or not, started off as people who had normal or what we consider to be normal lives 
lives, sustained an injury of some sort or needed some sort of surgery, was prescribed a medication that they were told was relatively safe, and then ended up becoming addicted to it. And 21 to 29 percent of people who are prescribed opioids misuse them. So either slightly less than or slightly more than a quarter of people. And this isn't because there's that many people who are just burgeoning addicts. It's That's the nature of the drug. 8 to 12 will develop a disorder, and 4 to 6 of those will, tr will transition to heroin. And 80% of heroin users started with prescription pain meds. 80%. These are not people who were partiers who just liked to go out and get high. Now, they, there's, I'm sure, a portion of those people who got maybe those prescription meds weren't for them, right. and they started with that, like they started with Oxycontin or they started with fentanyl that they had purchased from others. But a lot of these are people who were actually prescribed these medicines, and that is, is what happened as a result. But you have to imagine the person who pres who's prescribed it you know, they're like, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I, I was doing what I was told to do. I was going to start it. And they, the, the shame that they would feel when, once they realize they're hooked or roped into something, the odds that they would come forward with that and get the right help at that time, because they're probably embarrassed about the fact that you they never, they never thought they would be that person. Well, absolutely, and that's a lot of these people. They they they're not doing this because they're they're bad people. They're doing it because of something that they were given to deal with pain, and because they used it, it became a problem. But the problem, the the other side of this is that, they're, the pharmaceutical companies, did misrepresent how addictive these drugs were. Well, and then the other side of it too is that there are doctors. So there, you had doctors prescribing it because they didn't understand that it was as, as addictive as it was because the pharmaceutical companies weren't being honest. But there were also doctors, uh, not just medical doctors, but um, psychiatrists and others who were getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical companies to prescribe these drugs. Ohio is actually suing, I think it's, five different pharmaceutical companies for misrepresenting their drugs and and how addictive they were uh, because and then we're not the first one I think I think New York is doing it too I think there are actually several states across the country who are suing pharmaceutical companies for their role in creating these addictions but the problem is that there are doctors who are culpable as well. So there are certainly some of, there are a lot of medical professionals who didn't know that they were as dangerous and they were prescribing them in a way that turned out to be unsafe because of what the pharmaceutical companies told them. But then you have a handful of doctors who knew and did it anyway because they were getting money or they may not have known, but they still prescribed them. They might not have known they were dangerous, but they still chose those specific drugs over other drugs that might've been safer because they were getting money. And the thing that really pisses me off about this is not only is it highly unethical and it should be illegal, I'm not quite sure why no one's going to jail for this, to be honest, but what it does is it feeds into this perception of that we can't trust anything that the medical professionals or the pharmaceutical industry does, and it legitimizes 
other fears that people have. And so when you have people who are heading down the, oh, well, I'm not going to treat my kids with antibiotics. I'm just going to rub some essential oils on them. Or (laughs) I'm not going to vaccinate my children because I can't trust what is in those. And I believe that the government or big pharma is just poisoning my children. So you have people turning away from the medical industry as a whole because you have a cup, a group of people who did something really unethical you and know, the awful. bad apples yeah. poisoned the rest. Yeah, of the that's bunch. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. One bad apple spoils yeah. the bunch, and it becomes the slippery slope of I can't eat an apple. Right. Even though, wait a minute, what was the very first thing we heard? An apple, an apple a, a day, day keeps, keeps the, the doctor, doctor away. <laughs> and they don't trust them, and then they don't trust the FDA because the FDA is a governing body that is supposed to be protecting us from these kinds of things. And if they're not protecting us and saying, "Hey, you know what? This is bad," then again, you can't. The people who are supposed to be protecting us and taking care of us aren't doing their jobs. So it makes people go to such an extreme that they don't trust them to do anything. So when did you first start regularly taking medications to deal with pain? Um, It was during our derby days. I, I My ankle gave out on me. And from that point forward, it was... I, I started going to see a specialist... And then I had, you know, there was other specialists and that's when at least I was actually, I started off on Vicodin. That was my first medication that I was given. And this was, you know, 10, 15, I don't know, 12 years ago. Well, I started shortly after my youngest was born and he's 13. So yeah, 13 years ago. So yeah, 13 years ago was when I first started taking Vicodin to address my ankle issues um then i had surgery on one ankle um and i was prescribed pain meds during that time got off of them fine but then my other ankle had problems so it then that's when i started on the tramadol because i didn't want to have surgery yeah on my other ankle because my first surgery was horrendous i'm still actually healing and it's been i don't know five or six years since I've had that surgery. It still hasn't healed up right. So I'm still using the tramadol, and plus the surgery didn't clean up any of the arthritis I had in my ankle. So um, I would say that's when it all really started for me, when, when I was actually actively trying to medicate so that I could function. And I think that was my main goal, was just to be able to get up in the morning, go to work, come home, and just be a normal person. Mm-hmm. So, so just, just to walk down that lane for a moment, you had had arthritis from a young age. Yes. And pain issues. Um, and people told you, get up, get out, lose weight, do yes, all these yes. other things. And you reached a point where you joined roller derby. Yes. That should have been your doctor's hallelujah moment. <laughs> she She's out there. She's going. She's moving. She's doing I don't want to throw a wrench in it, but did you ever think that maybe that was a little too aggressive? No. Granted, it's low impact because it's on skates. It's a well, it until motion. you get knocked over. Until you're but running until you're into each other. That's, that's quite high did, impact. Okay, so did, did that ever occur to you as maybe no. that was too much? No, because at that point, I didn't realize it. I had, like, I only knew the one ankle. And mm. even when I started, I didn't know that this ankle would give out when I'm 
in the middle of Derby. And then it did. And that's when I went to the doctor. He's like, oh, there's no more cartilage in there. I'm gonna, you have bone fragments. Apparently, during my clumsy middle school days, um, I fractured my ankle at some point. And never had it. Exactly. My mom, who, um, who I love to death, put a, a bandage on it, a ace bandage, and told me to walk it off. Um, <laughs> which, is, so, which is excellent for, for injuries to your ankle. Walking yeah. is always the best solution. And so, laughter for tuberculosis. So. You're okay. Rub, You're okay. Let me lick it. Walk it off. Walk rub, it off. Rub butter on a burn. It fixes everything. Windex. Windex. That'll right. do it. So really, I probably, that's when the damage started, when I kept spraining my ankles Mm -hmm. and so these little bone fragments started you know the calcium builds up and then it breaks off and it starts cutting away at all that Mm -hmm. so that's really derby was the defining moment where i'm like wait a second this isn't this isn't right this isn't just a regular ache or pain there's something bigger because i remember that like you hurt your ankle and then it just kind of progressed from there like this is more than just an ankle injury from roller skating. Like, yeah. this is something way more involved. Yeah, they put me, I went to the urgent care, they put me in a cast, said that I had sprained it, but they wanted to stabilize it. Went to an ortho, he put me in it. I started physical therapy, and he put me in an air cast for, like, two months. And then finally, I'm like, look, none of this is working. Mm-hmm. I hurt every single day. My ankle swells every single day. There is something wrong in there. So that's when he went in, cleaned it up, and went on my merry way. Well, at that time, he, I've been to three orthopedic surgeons, and the first one didn't know about the extra bones in my feet, so that wasn't ever addressed. So I had the Didn't surgery. he do x-rays or anything to see what was going on yes, down there? Yes, but... Apparently, that was nothing he wasn't looking for. Okay. So, I had a clean-out of the arthritis. That was my first ankle surgery. It was just a clean-out. Simple procedure. Healed up fast. But the pain never stopped. And I was on Vicodin at that time. And then, all hell just broke loose in my ankles. Um, It just... The swelling, like I said, and, and the pain, and it was so bad. It would, I would be laying in bed, and it would be throbbing and feeling like someone was stabbing me in my foot continuously. And that's when I went to my second orthopedist, and we, he's like, oh, you have this extra bone. Your tendon is not attached properly, so we need to go in there. Um, cut that bone off, reattach your tendon, and move your heel because my heel was migrating out. So he needed to... It's a fucking burn. Where is it going? So he's like, we need to screw that into your foot so it can stabilize. So while we were doing that, apparently I had a cyst on that tendon that he never told me about. So he ended up cutting it and cutting that tendon and actually shortened it too much. So... And I still, to this day, have issues with it. And to think that I have problems sleeping at night sometimes because I feel like something's touching or itching my legs. That's me. I'm fucking with you. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so, and now I've, I had surgery on my last year. It's been a year since I had it on my other ankle to remove bone. 
reattach the tendon and then move my heel to the proper position. So, and then now my knees are going out and I get cortisone shots for those. And does that help? Like, does it get rid of the pain or is it just, just lessens it? It actually helps, That's surprisingly. Good. When they did the cortisone shots in my ankles, it never helped. It mm-hmm. never worked. But when they put them in my knees, they were fine. And how often do you have to get that? Um, I think I just had one probably three months ago. So far, so good. Okay. So. And I know with a lot of cortisone injections, like, there's... You can only get them yeah. so often. Yeah, there's limitations. That, that's, a, that's the problem. The cortisone's really good at reducing the inflammation so that the pain goes away. But the source of the inflammation is your body telling you something's damaged and wrong. Stop doing this. Yeah. yeah. So the signal flag is there, yeah. all the pain. The cortisone makes that pain go away. Well, but say the it's, condi- the condition, it's masking. It's yeah, yeah, it's masking it ultimately because what caused it to begin with. Well, it's yeah, a treatment, it's, not a cure. Yeah. So yes, whatever ultimately causes the problem will resurface, but it takes care of it for, and that's quite honestly, that's one of the issues with chronic pain. There are treatments, but depending on what's causing the pain, they're not always cures. Did did they give you an end date for the cortisone treatments? No. On your knees? I think that's something that some people just get. Like, I I think that that can be something that is a lifetime treatment. When I went three or four months ago, um, when he took the x-ray, he said, well, you know, you almost have no cartilage on the outside of your knee. Eventually, I'm going to have to get a replacement. But I don't want to do surgery, so I opted just for the cortisone and the physical therapy Although I have been in physical therapy so much, I can do I can, you know, do the exercises mm-hmm. at home by myself. Well, the three I, different people I know who've had knee replacement surgery said every doctor that reputable doctor you will ever meet will wait and delay that as long as possible because you will only do it once. Yeah. Because no reputable doctor will go in twice and one of the thing is, is there's, knee there's replacements. A, knee they, replacement. There's a lifespan of how long that new knee is. 15 years is 15 about years. what they say. So, so they really want to like, get it done in the 30s. Unless so if you're, you're 40, 50s, you're going to need one. You, that's 55. Your knee will give out. Yeah. That really surprises screwed. me that there's a there's a life that there would be a limit for that because it's they Which, replace it with with artificial materials why would those continue but they're still putting it inside of a body that has its own mechanical so you know like she was talking about with her ankles being bad and then her knees have gotten worse mm-hmm. all of that is kind of linear right. yeah. people that had the ankle problems tend to go to knee and then the knee often goes to hips mm-hmm. so even when you're replacing one thing you're still putting it inside of a person and it's based off of how that person moves how that person carries themselves weight up weight down you know changes what happens with how it gets the pressure how you move if you don't have a normal gait and they rehab you weird like so yeah there's still it's and it's it's still fine and that could yeah can so do that, with it and that would create new pains if your body's yeah. used to accommodating for yeah. a particular that's, type of injury you're going to sit right. or walk a certain way and then if that's replaced then you're going to sit when or walk a different way when we took my when my mom first looked into getting her knees worked on it's probably been 15 years ago, they told her that they would have to do both knee replacements at the same time because they said at that point for how deteriorated even her walk was because she cannot stand up straight. Her legs do not straighten out. They have not. 
like her one leg is like a night. And, and the risk of her age and surgery, if we put you under, we're only going to put you under once. They won't, well, they won't even do it now Just because she has neurological oh. stuff too. But they told her, they said, we would have to do both knee replacements at the same time because you don't walk like a human the way you are now. <laughs> and because she has the gait of like an, an ape, basically, the way she walks. Her legs don't straighten, so she's constantly, her knees, knees are constantly at an angle. And they said, if we rehab, if we give you one knee and then send you into rehab, you're going to destroy the new knee replacement with how you walk because of the damage on the other one. So they're like, you would have to have both done at the same time so they could rehab together. And she would have to learn a completely new way yeah. of walking. Yeah. So. Note to self, don't grow old. <laughs> okay, that's not practical. <laughs> yeah. I'm already there. I mean, it's not impractical, but you got to go through a lot of horrible stuff in order to, you know, guarantee. I, I do get asked if I considered doing ankle replacement but ankle replacement is pretty much the the worst replacement. i don't think, I think do i've that. ever heard of that it only lasts five years there's so oh. and there's so many tiny bones that, yeah, that's the point. delicate I mean, spaces down well yeah because the knee is just of it. the knee yes. is meeting three bones together the hip is replacing two bones together but the ankle yeah, there is a replacement, but like I said, it, it only lifespan is five years. Well, and think, I mean, you probably, in the grand scheme of things, use your ankle almost more than you do your knees and your hips, just because there are so but many there, fine, there's something about fine the, motions in the ankle. There's something about your feet being in contact with the ground that actually allows that to be one of the more stable things, and your hip being more stable. People who have any kind of ankle problem or hip problem, they tra usually translate down to the knee, because yeah. the knee is the most... Uh, least, most least, probably not a technical term. <laughs> Reinforced. No. Most least is a not technical that term. That don't make no yeah. sense. Um, Non-reinforced. It's it's the it, it, uh, 360 degrees force where the ankle has muscle structure that tries to keep it in a certain. But there's a lot of bones there. I I, I get it with the five year thing because there are a lot of bones down there. Yeah. The hip replacement, but it's a big joint. It's yeah. a big ball and socket joint. So people have the hip replacement, although they don't want to do that if they don't have That's to. That's why Barbie legs because pop it's off as still, soon as they do, because of that hip and yeah, socket. It only lasts for so long. Same but thing with people. That, then and you're trying to put them in those sexy positions. It just right, doesn't right. work. The whole leg pops off? Jesus. But the, <laughs> yeah, the knee is actually, the, people talk about how graceful and beautiful and powerful horses are. And it's like, no, they're actually one of the weakest. They're, you have all those medieval. Delicate. That's rude. You That's have a, all those medieval crusade story. You know, no, no. You want to take a knight down? Cut his horse off, horse off at the knees. That's it. He's cut done. Cut his horse off. And horse those knights depend so much on their horse. Well, yeah, because a knight is just awful without a horse. But that's also why. I mean, speaking of horses, I assume that's why they will often kill them if they sustain injuries to the legs, because the chances of it healing well in a way that's not going to create chronic chronic pain for that horse is, is... And and that's actually why it's considered humane, because there's the chance of it healing up, considering the weight it has to support is so it's like astronomical. You're, uh, you're like a beautiful, beautiful horse, Christine. Fantastic. <laughs> So when, when did you start having issues with migraines then? When did those kick um, in? Actually, probably the last five years. Um, as Now, I started, I saw, been, because of my back, I've been to chiropractors, and they've done x-rays on my spine and then my neck, obviously. And 
I, my skull, because, you know, I was Billy Badass when I was like two or three years old and I was going to jump off the top bunk and I landed my head on a little people's schoolhouse. <laughs> Damn, um, you're alive. Yes. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, so, because I was so young, but the bones weren't fully fused. My skull actually is fused awkwardly. Like one one side of it is lower than the other. So it's like it 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 did enough damage to kind of put it off kilter. Yes. Yes. And then later it fused in that position. Yes. So now um, I have a nerve branch, I guess, that sits there. And any type of inflammation that I have in my neck on that area will give me a migraine. But that, but the migraines only started within the past five yeah. years. Yeah. So I wonder why it's only recently then that that's created the issue. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I have... I, I, I'm a medical mystery. Okay? <laughs> Are you donating your body to science when I you die? I am a medical <laughs> mystery. Like, I have a high blood, white blood cell count. They still don't have any idea what it is. I'm fighting something in my body. Nobody knows. Um, so I must have some kind of inflammation somewhere. Or That's like an why. autoimmune thing. Yeah. Is, so be. maybe your body's just kind of attacking itself, which may explain why you have all the issues that you do. Yeah. Because then I know that there's a lot of um, stuff that I have read in terms of chronic pain often deals with autoimmune disorders where your body, for whatever reason, is kind of at war with itself. I was diagnosed with something a couple years ago called interstitial cystitis, which I thought I just kept having urinary tract infections, and it turns out that this is the disorder, and so you feel like you have a very bad urinary tract infection, but no antibiotics help it so it just hurts for a while and when I first got it and I looked up information about it after I was diagnosed it was incredibly depressing because all these people have they have like support groups for this particular illness because it can be debilitating because it affects so many people's lives and their ability to function because it's so painful fortunately the medication works for me and even when I do have flare-ups they're not debilitating and I think you, any of us who deal with chronic pain, you also get to the point where you just kind of deal with it. Yeah. You, you have no choice. You can, yeah. I, can either, I can either ignore it and, and try to function because I have shit to do, or I can lie around and, and wallow in it. But the thing is, the pain's the same either way. And yeah. that's, that's something that I've had to and deal with. Is so much of chronic pain stuff is that the chronic is damaging. So, yeah. like, I, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia a couple of years ago and took medication for it. And actually, uh, sometime last, like, summer, fall, they randomly ran out of this medication. Like, they could not, like, I kept calling the pharmacy, and they kept saying, well, we don't have it. It's on back order. And I'd be like, well, can't you call another pharmacy? And they're like, well, we called four other ones. They don't have it either. And so I went, like, a week and a half without taking it and basically was like, well, the pain isn't as bad as I remember, so I'll go ahead and stop taking it. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things. I luckily have the fortune that my condition isn't as bad as it could be. Yeah. But you get people that have fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or even not something with a definitive diagnosis, just general chronic pain. Your body deteriorates under that. So, you know, what was fine and not a big issue two years ago is suddenly, you know, a very big issue because it's just, it's wearing everything down. Yeah. And back to that, the mental health aspect of it, when you're constantly wearing from, you know, like just general, even if it's just general uncomfortableness, you're not necessarily in agonizing pain that wears down on your, 
your brain and makes you more exhausted. Like, I don't know anybody who doesn't have chronic pain issues that isn't just always tired. tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so much of that is, you know, and it, and it turns into that, you know, chicken or egg thing. Am I tired because of the pain or is it because of the depression and the, the mental health you know, wear down. Or is the pain worse from because it. my body's wear yeah. down? So and it's, it's like not you know, when, like off. when you don't yeah. sleep well one night, you feel shittier the next yeah. day, and then you eat like crap, and then the next day you feel even worse because you slept crappy and yeah. then you ate crappy, and it's that same kind of thing. It's like, well, do I feel bad today mentally because it's had an off day, or is it mm-hmm. because I was just in so much pain and so miserable that I couldn't function or do anything? And, and emotion, it, just, it just keeps going. Yeah. And and let's face it, emotional pain and physical pain are incredibly closely linked. Yeah. Have you ever had a time where you've you've had an emotional pain, like heart heartache, loss, grief, where you have not also felt yeah. physical pain to go along with it? They go hand in hand. Yeah. And we all know that, but but at the same time, even though we understand that when you're suffering some sort of emotional or psychological pain, that you're probably having a physical pain to go with it. There are still people who will tell you, well, you got to suck it up. Yeah. And especially, it it's more with women because a lot of the illnesses that affect women have been dismissed for a very long time by the medical community who unfortunately still often see women as hysterical and don't take their complaints as seriously. And so when they come in and they talk about pain, instead of actually looking for a root cause of it, the doctors will just assume that the woman is attention seeking or exaggerating or being dramatic. Or it's just her vagina. Right, her wandering womb is creating pain. And and that was what I was gonna mention, like in the last few years I've heard and seen even more about like endometriosis, which is a very real thing. But it's only been the last 10 years where you really hear them talking about it and doing research and stuff on it because finally somewhere someone was able to convince them, like, I'm not just having my period all the time. Like, this is more than just, I have cramps. Like, there's something wrong. But they could see that, which I think legitimized it. Like, you can go, And that's what happened is they finally got people that researched it and, like, were able to see, like, oh, things are structurally incorrect here. And And they can physically go into a woman's body and see that the lining of her uterus has begun to spread out and adhere to other, so they can actually see that happening. So that makes it legitimate. But when you have people talking about widespread pain, but you can't show them anything that's causing it, they have a tendency to dismiss it as a type of hysteria. And there are a lot of these illnesses that affect women more than men. Interstitial cystitis is an example of this. More women are affected it by it, and women of my age and older. So again, it's very easy to dismiss that as, uh, these older ladies are getting bored and they don't have anything to do, so they're making up illnesses. Yeah. It's the same thing with fibromyalgia. Well, the thing with like fibromyalgia, like when I was diagnosed with it, it was we gave you several thousand dollars worth of blood work and checked every other thing we could, and you don't have any of the other standard like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, uh-huh. you don't have any of those 100% defined. So that's kind of fibromyalgia is that catch-all. Like you have some kind of an autoimmune thing and it's causing issues, but it's not one of these two or three. Yeah. So you have this. We can't and, figure and out it, what it is, so it's got it. We've, we've yeah. excluded everything that is explainable and testable for, so it has to right. be this thing that and we so don't And so basically, understand. and then they treat that with, 
hey, is your pain bad enough that you think you need something over the counter? If you do, awesome. And then everything else they use to treat fibromyalgia, antidepressants. Which is which which when I went feeds and, into this yeah. idea that it's a that it's, it's in your brain. Yeah, yeah. that you're just imagining yeah. it. That you're being hysterical. So it's very when I, when I went to the doctor, I was very glad I had a female doctor who, when I was talking to her about what was going on and the pain I was having, she said you did not test positive for UTI. It was not a long drawn out process. It was hey, I think you might have this thing, right. and I was incredibly lucky that. It didn't take long at all for me to get diagnosed and get a medication that helped. Yeah. It doesn't always take care of it, and there are certain times when it flares up in others, but from what I've seen, just bits and pieces of other what other people have dealt with, I'm incredibly lucky. And it can also go into remission. This may not be something I have for the rest of my life. But again, it's hard to people think it's made up, like unless yeah. because no one understands it. They can't figure out if it has to do with a the nerve. They can't figure out if it's my body attacking the lining of my my bladder. They don't know if it has to do with the fact that sometimes women have had a history of um, chronic UTIs in the past can cause it. It also might be related to IBS, which is another illness that is, well, we can't figure out what else is wrong with you, but you have the symptoms, so we think this is what it is. Right. Yeah, there's so many things where basically they had to, instead of having hard and fast you know, science, like x-rays, blood work and stuff, they yeah. had to say, well, these are our criteria for diagnosing this and you don't meet any of the physical test-worthy stuff, yeah. but you meet six out of the other eight things. So we're going to say you have this because yeah. you meet everything, but for some reason your body doesn't want to show it, you know, it's shy on test day or something. I I've heard it compared to colic with babies. So you'll have babies that will cry a lot and, and, you and people don't know why. As we progress and kind of understand things more, a lot of the things that made babies cry a lot, they've realized are a result of different types of illnesses. Maybe it could be like allergies to, if they were on formula, it could be allergies to the type of formula that they were using, or there are other issues as a result of that. But because we still haven't completely figured it out, they use this catch-all term, colic. Yeah. And I think that that is what happens a lot. Like. I feel like, well, we don't really know what's wrong with you, so we're just going to call it fibromyalgia, or we're going to call it IBS, and we're just going to be like, well, we have these medications that kind of usually help with it, but basically your body's just going fucking crazy, and we don't know why, but you say you're in pain, and you've well, come here enough, we're going to give you something because we right. think you and might be in legitimate And pain. it's hard to decide how, like, I remember when I thought maybe, because for a while I thought I had rheumatoid arthritis, and then they did fibromyalgia, and I was very much torn between, like, on one hand, I did not want them to say I had rheumatoid arthritis because it's, you know... It, it, it fucking sucks. Yeah, and it <laughs> progresses rough, and a lot of your medications that are options are things like, you know, chemo medications. Yeah. So the treatments can be just as rough as the disease. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to have rheumatoid arthritis, but at the same time, I was like, I want to have a definition. Yeah. Like, so the fibromyalgia, it was kind of like, that wasn't... Like, it is sort of a catch-all, but it was still better than them saying... There's, we don't, know we don't see anything wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. They at least were able to say, there's something. It's not these. So we're going to say you have this. Like, just having a name to things is so relieving by itself. Even if it's not, you know, like a perfectly, you know, we know what this is and it's cured. And we'll cure it, yeah. Yeah, you know, at least being able to, like, put on paperwork, I have this thing and have other medical professionals look at it and go, oh, well, that means you probably have this, 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 and this. Okay, instead of just having to give them a laundry list of things wrong with you and them just be like, uh. And that's a, I, I deal with um, a lot of 
I'm tired a lot. I don't, I, I just say, well, I'm just not a high energy person. And the thing is I do everything they tell you to do to increase energy and stuff like that. Like I exercise regularly. I eat well. I've recently lost quite a bit of weight. I've done all these things that are supposed to give you energy. I've been tired since I was fucking 13 years old and nothing I've done has changed the fact that I'm always tired. And sometimes I just hurt and for no good reason. And I don't know why. And I'll just have days where I will just ache and, and sometimes I can tie it to weather and sometimes I can't. And it's really fucking frustrating because I know if I go to a doctor and say, I'm just really tired and sometimes I hurt a lot, that they're going to be like, well, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like there's no definite answer for it. So I've sort of just resigned myself to the fact that that's how it's going to be. I I don't know if it's if it's tied to when I was in kindergarten, I got really ill so I, I was, I had incredible joint pain and my mother took me, I remember having to like put my feet on her feet and she walked me to the bathroom and then she had to help me sit down because my joints were so stiff. I had trouble even sitting down to go to the bathroom and I was out of school for a couple weeks and they took me for tests and of course the first thought was maybe it's leukemia. Fortunately, it was not that. Their best guess was it, it seems like juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, but then it went away. Right. and. Every fall I would continue. So I would sporadically have joint issues where I'd wake up crying and I'd be in so much pain. And then I would just have to wait for the aspirin to kick in or use a heating pad. And like you said, when you're in pain and you're waiting for that pain, meant to, it feels like an eternity. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate that regular over-the-counter stuff worked for me. And even now I will have, dependent upon the weather, sometimes fall is a difficult season for me still, even years later. Winter is a shitty season for her. Winter's a shitty fucking season because I was born to hibernate and it's gray and cold outside in winter. But, and, but to be honest, yeah, winter's hard on me too because I'm just kind of tired and not so much achy, I'm just tired and low motivation. They never figured out what it was. I sometimes wonder if some of the other issues I've had tie from that. There was a brief period of time my mom wondered if it was Lyme's disease, like maybe I had gotten tick or bitten by a tick, but but it would it would have progressed. It wouldn't have just kind of gone away. And so it was just one of those things that happened and nobody ever figured out what it was, but I've always been kind of tired and sort of achy and but I I resigned myself to the fact that that's just my lot in life. And even though you Christine have diagnosis diagnoses for the stuff you have I imagine that you feel somewhat resigned to the fact that this is just pain you're going to have to live with because even when they give you medication it's not a cure no and no. it and sometimes it just takes the edge off right like it doesn't yeah. actually absolutely remove the pain no I mean there are mornings I wake up and I just cannot move like I cannot my ankles will lock up my knees will lock up my back will lock up and it's nothing that I did it's not how I slept you know it it, it just how is how it is yeah um and it's unfortunate and i hate it and i wish i didn't have to deal with it because part of me is embarrassed you know i should be going out and having a great time still because i'm still young but i act like i'm 90 years old on my deathbed because i can't i hurt just constantly and how does that impact your moods then um pretty yeah i'm yeah. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. You can say it. <laughs> it's fucking terrible, right? It is. It's it's horrendous and and that's a part of my depression that I, I don't think people quite understand. Um when I say I have depression, they think, "Oh, 
you know, some kind of trauma or unstable. There's just, but it's not that. It's just, I can't get up and go out and get fresh air like everybody says I should. <laughs> Um, Just go for a walk in the woods. It cures everything. (laughs) Go get exercise. Go meet up with friends. But then I'm like, I hurt. I don't want to burden somebody with that. So then I wallow in it. And then that just brings my mood down. And then it just just goes in cycles. And there will be times where I'll be great. I'll be like, I'm feeling good. The pain's less. And then in a blink of an eye, I'm back to... It feels like I take two steps back. Like I'm dealing with a lot of emotional issues on top of. And it's like quicksand for me. Like I've noticed this. Like when I'm kind of on the, I'm I'm tipping. Like I'm on the edge of really just kind of sinking and feeling sorry for myself. Like I'll have one foot in and I'm like, oh God, it's coming. Sometimes if it's lucky and I can distract myself, I can kind of pull that foot out and go about my business and do other things. I still won't feel great. But I, I will be functional. And you can kind of dig yourself the rest of the way back. Yeah, but there are times when there's I, I'm not pulling that foot out and I'm just going to get sucked in. Yeah. I'm very good about going through the motions. I'm very good about still. And I think part of that is because I have three kids and I have it kind of programmed into me that I still have, I have things I have to do and I will do those things. But I can feel empty and awful and terrible and still get stuff done. And I think one of the misconceptions with pain, whether it be psychological or emotional or physical, is that you can give the appearance of being okay. And so when you tell someone, well, I'm actually kind of struggling or I'm hurting or whatever, they can be very dismissive of that because they think, well, you'll look fine. Mm -hmm. Like the the things where you've heard about people who have park in handicap spaces and they'll yeah. walk in and other people will get mad at them like you don't have you're not handicapped yeah. just because I can walk into the store you don't know I yeah. could have a single lung like you don't know what I'm struggling with and so for you to presume that just by looking at me that I should be able to suck it up and be okay is really inoffensive it's really offensive and somebody incorrect. with like Christine's kind of chronic stuff where you know you could have a day where you're absolutely gold and you can hop and skip if you want to. So mm-hmm. being able to park in a handicapped spot, you know, like instead of having to walk two miles from where I parked, I only have to walk half a mile. And that helps in that tomorrow when I have a really shitty day and I'm in excruciating pain, it isn't compounded by the fact that I had to walk two miles yesterday just to run errands I was able. So, yeah, people see handicap and assume well you look fine right now there's nothing wrong with you I'm like well you don't see what I look like the other five days yeah. of the week where like I'm using a cane yeah. or a walker or you know I don't even leave my house because I'm not able to even put on shoes and socks and let you, alone drive and walk somewhere and you can't see people's pain yeah unless they're writhing around like you can see illnesses you can see amputations you can see just dis- there are certain disabilities that are visible to others you can't see the pain that someone is suffering, and therefore it's very easy to be dismissive of it. And do you have a lot of people who will just kind of respond with, well, just suck it up, or, oh, well, if you just did this, you'll feel better, who have like these really kind of oversimplistic methods for how you could solve all your problems if yeah. you just did it? Honestly, I think at least each one of my friends has said something to that effect, and not... And they don't mean it like trying to blow me off. Yeah. They honestly feel like that will solve 
all my issues. Yeah. Like Maybe this. they even think you're they're offering you encouragement. Exactly. However, myself knowing that I have gone through the gamut of going out and getting exercise, yeah. of going out and maintaining a social presence, it it doesn't it doesn't matter really. It, yeah. I just go ultimately back. ultimately you're the only person who understands the extent of the pain. Yeah. I, and the disability that yeah. you're having to feel and deal with. And yeah. what will and won't work. And, yeah. the, and a lot of people would like to put pain in like a cookie cutter status. Like if you have depression, everybody is supposed to have the same kind of depression. Um, <laughs> if your back hurts, well, you, you know, everybody, ha- it's, it's not that way. It's not one size no, fits all. No, no. Well, and it's, it's so much of that is people like... When things are easily definable and easily seen, when you can look at something and say, well, this thing's happening because of this, this, and this, then you have that ability to define it and say, well, that can't happen to me. So when you see somebody that says they're sick or says they have some kind of physical health condition, but they look totally normal to you, your brain's like, well, there's nothing wrong with them. They look fine because maybe in some part of your brain, you're thinking that person looks fine, but has all of these health conditions. I look fine. That could be me. I could have all kinds of things and no one would see that I was ill. Like, we want to be able to look at something and know what it is. Right, and to be able to blame it. So we can yeah. say, well, she has pain because she she does or has ABC. So as long as I don't do or right. have ABC, yeah. I'll be fine. They eat like crap and they never yeah. go outside. Which so is, that's why they're in pain or that's why they're sad. Yeah, which is why we love to body shame people who are overweight and blame every issue they have on their size i was you wouldn't have lung cancer if you'd eat vegetables right like you would be healthy if you just weren't fat like we love to blame everything on weight because it then we can feel like oh well as long as we're not fat we'll be fine yeah and as though it's a choice you're making and the truth of the matter is you can be overweight and not have chronic problems the the health problems that everybody likes to blame on obesity i didn't have any of them so and all the health problems i had didn't get worse when i got heavier and they haven't gotten better now that i've lost weight so we like to blame people for their own problems but the truth of the matter is there's some of them that you can't control and we need to cease this narrative that people have gotten what they deserve and it's a consequence of their actions. Well, yeah, that we is make... the, true in some cases. That's absolutely like... And we need to very much quit need to listening to people who throw up the single case point in evidence where, oh no, I know I know a situation that happened that totally disproves what you just said. Really? Okay. So one, they know one incident one. that you know one instance. It. Yeah. Really? I know a person who messed up their ankle and they started running and they lost everything 40 was pounds better. and now everything's fine. I worked with a guy who was an ordinanceman in the Navy, very healthy, very skinny, everything. There was an incident where a bomb came half unlatched and he got pinned to the deck because half of it came loose on him. And he suffered from back pain from that point forward and one of the doctors told him okay first i'm going to tell you right now you need to take up running you need to take up running the running will strengthen your back all the muscles around all your injury you need to strengthen them up you're young do it now go ahead start and you're going to have to do it for the rest of your life 
And I saw this guy running around, and he was like an 80s poster child. He had the socks with two stripes. <laughs> Did he have really short knees, shorts? Super short Did shorts. Did they have like the piping on the edges? With piping? Yep. And an, and headband? Oh. And, and he was running along, and I was just sitting right going like... He's okay, like Jack he, Tripper from the, Three's Company. Yes. <laughs> it, was like, it was exactly like that. And I just wanted to go... I, I came into work, and I was like, okay, so... Uh, yeah, you... Really? That you like running? I would never have expected that. And he's like, I have to. It's part of my. It's therapy for my back. And he's like, they they, they told me this, and I started running. And you know what? I've never had a problem with my back since. Every once in a while, there's a person who has a specific condition or ailment that, when met with the right person who can tell them something that motivates them to do the right thing. And it can have amazing results. And the thing is, is, that's the fucking lottery. I recognized this as soon as I saw it. You, he has no idea. How, I, I hope he's so still he doing lucked, this. So he kind of lucked. He's very fortunate that he had a doctor who yes. actually knew what he was talking about. And he lucked in the correct treatment for that. He could have. Now, next point of <laughs> conversation. Um, yeah, there, there are. You know, sometimes people tell you. Why not just do this? Why not try this? Why not try this? Okay, now I'm just going to do but this. But sometimes that's dismissive, though. Like, sometimes it's all oh, little lady. If you just, you know, go out and read a book or put some makeup on, you'll feel mm -hmm. better. And that's big. Why don't you smile? You <laughs> feel better if you smile. smile. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, but do you know how many people tell me that have told me that in the last two, three years when my depression has gotten so much worse that if I just had a better attitude? And, yeah. A, that's probably kind of true because I have a shitty attitude. But still, telling me, like, I just need to, like, pretend. Like, sometimes that works if you just, like, you had a bad morning getting ready and you spilled your cereal on your clothes and had to change. Try to fake it till you make it and get through it. But, like, suicidal depression kind of thing. Just yeah. put a grin on well, and power through. Not the same thing. They've actually done studies. And if you smile and pretend like you're happy you do tend to feel better i don't think that that works for severe depression right i do think it works if you're in kind of a bad mood right so it like, can, i had a shame it more can work it, it, it can it's, work it's in some yeah. cir some yeah. circumstances but no if you're suffering from severe or clinical depression just pretending to be happy is not going to yeah. cure you no this whole yes pulling yourself up by your bootstraps which I don't even want to get started on, was actually a phrase that was pointing out the fact that it's impossible to pull your up, yourself you up. You yeah, so the phrase was that. actually pointing out how ridiculous that was because it's impossible to do it. And now people talk about it like that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And that, so that's been bastardized. But anyway, um, yes, that that's part of the problem, I think, with chronic pain is from people who don't suffer from it can be very dismissive of it and have all kinds of of cures for you or advice on what you can do to fix it without truly understanding. I hope I've never no, no. been dismissive or been like, oh, no, well, no, if you no. just do this, we'll fix it. I try very much to be like, that sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because I've, I recognize that there's nothing I can yeah. say like, yeah. oh, well, do you try this or should you yeah. try well, that? Some, because sometimes the anecdotal. Have you tried rosemary and lavender? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, <Or> the, <laughs> sometimes the anecdotal is a genuine attempt to be helpful. And sometimes the anecdotal is just, a play off of I want to move on to the next subject. I think most people honestly have the intent of being helpful. I think yes. by and large people are not trying to be dismissive or rude. 
there are some people. Yeah. But I You have a much better idea of people than I do, I guess. She said she's cynical, but that sounded pretty generous. I mean, (laughs) sometimes I do. Like, I by and large think that, you know, when people say things, they're not trying to be like, oh, for fuck's sake, drop it. Now, just be happy. Yeah. I I know for a fact with myself that there are people when, like, they complain about the same things all the time, and it's very obvious that there are things that they could change. Yeah. I get that way and kind of like... Oh, well, have you tried this? No? Well, sorry. But, like, when somebody tells me they're in pain or they're having a rough day or, you know, they're just depressed and they don't know why, like, my first thought isn't to, like, give them a laundry list of things to do. And yeah, I don't know that most people, when they do that kind of stuff, necessarily have that at the intent of, like, moving on or just dismissing it. I think it's kind of like, oh, well... My mom was like that. My mom tried this. Have you tried that? Or my cousin did this and they well, it. Like, you, well, I think people do genuinely want to be helpful, but yeah. I think that it can be hurtful when their idea of being helpful is to pretend as though it's something very easy that can be yeah. fixed if you just smiled more. Right. And so when it's someone who doesn't truly understand what's going on and they offer like really ridiculous solutions and it's like if it really was as easy as me just smiling and exercising more don't you think I would have done that and by the way I will smile frequently I do put that face on at work I do exercise and I still have these problems so thanks for the advice I've tried it but is, it's is not this, always it's not been a cure-all no it's, is this a lead-in will the next episode be about weight loss paradigms no that totally <laughs> don't fucking work no. No? I'm happy. Absolutely. Will that not come in? I think we should I'm, have an episode about I that. I would like to have, I would, yes, I would like to have an episode where we talk about, like, body image, and I'm happy to talk about weight and stuff like that, as as well as someone who's... Struggled? Worked at it? Been, been underweight, average weight, and overweight. I, I, yes, but that's a whole other fucking can of worms that I don't even want to get into right now. But so yes, I, I do think that I think that the advice that people often offer tends to be from a good place. But I also think there are a lot of shitty people out there who are like, "Oh my God, you're just such a sad sack." And th- and that that part sits in my brain. Like if I keep telling so and so all my issues, they're gonna end up just hating me. So why even bother? So I fake it till I make it most of the time. Yeah. Or I just disappear. I will ghost out on everybody and anything in my life. I will do that. But the thing is, is friends, if you keep in contact with friends, if you keep touching out, if you're reaching out, even if you're telling them shit about, you know what, the friends will stick with you. See, the logical part of my brain knows that. Ah, now we're back to the brain. Yes. The the part that is affected by the depression and the anxiety caused by your issues feels like a burden. Yeah, don't overrules everything that I know to be true. Like, I know I can rely on my friends. I know I can rely on my family. I can rely on a lot of people. However, that anxious, depressed voice is so loud it just drowns everything out. So I will I, I will pull myself back well, because I don't I feel like I am a burden. And there's also that thing of like, you know, when you catch up with friends and you talk to friends, you want to update them on things that are going on. Yeah. And when you're in pain, whether it's physical or mental, it's no 
like, yeah. I don't want to say no fun, but it's like, you know, so what's up with you? Oh, well, we want a vacation. What's up with you? Nothing. Still kind of depressed. Yeah. I don't want a lot of pain. Yeah. Like you're telling, like every time you talk to somebody, like, you know, whether it was three days earlier or like you haven't talked for like a week or two and they ask you what's up, it's, you have the same answer. And like, not only do you feel like it makes you feel kind of boring because you're like, I have nothing to update, but then it kind of depresses you because you're like, I have. Nothing, nothing to update. update. And, and I'm like, well, why does this person want to check well, in with me? Because they're just going to be like, oh, I want to check in with her. And she's saying the same fucking well, thing if, she always says. If this happens it's on really social hard. media, this goes back to one of those previous episodes where people are afraid to be boring or bland on social media, so they just kind of like detach. And it's like, you don't have to have something amazing to bring forward every day. Like some of these people who want to bring forward crazy shit every day, so they keep increasing their fame and their notoriety and how great I am and all this other shit. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to tell you, you're a freak because it really doesn't happen that way. Most of us are gutting our way through the average day. We have good days. We have bad days. That That's really more than All norm. of my days are great, and that's because I smile. <laughs> because you smile. If everybody just smiled, everything would be okay. Right. Well, I know that from... I... When I know someone's going through a hard time, I have a really hard time talking to them about something that's bothering me. So... I will know, like, oh, someone's dealing with such and such, so I don't want to tell them that I just have this little bomb blow up in my lap because they're dealing with stuff that, one, they might look at me and go, well, that I can't believe that you're freaking out about that because that's so stupid compared to what I'm freaking about freaking out about like my problems are legitimate whereas yours are ridiculous so sometimes they do that or I don't want to burden someone who I know is already burdened like I, I don't want to lay what I'm dealing with on someone else but what I have learned is if I'm struggling with something but I ask someone else how they're doing it doesn't add to my weight like it's not something extra I have to carry so if like I'm having a shitty day but I talk to one of you guys and you're having a shitty day too and you tell me about your shitty day my day hasn't gotten shittier right. because of it. If it nothing else, your brain goes like, "Oh, well, I mean, oh, at, at least we, at least we're both having right." Days. So I'll be like, oh. "Like you have that kind of bond, it's right?" Like this it's like, it's for like, both of us. It's like I feel like I'm borrowing part of your weight, but I don't have yeah. to buoy it up. Well, I, for I, me, I, don't, it's... I don't have to lift it up. But I, you know what? I can share in that, and but I don't. Ha it's not going to bring me down. But I, it also can. It can make me feel better if I feel like. Oh, so one, I'm connecting with another person, and that helps. Two, if I can make them feel better, that makes me feel better. So it makes my day better. It can also distract me from what I'm dealing with. So like, yeah, I've got my own shit going on, but. I would rather pay attention to what's going on with this person so that I'm taking a break from wallowing in whatever my bullshit well, yeah, is. Yeah, I'm gonna say I sometimes like if I'm down, depending on like the level, I welcome hearing like what's going on with someone else if they're having a problem or if they say, you know, like what would you do? Because I can be like, Oh, well maybe I can help give them some kind of constructive criticism or at least comfort them if they're asking for it. Well, you must have loved me a couple days ago when I was sending you a vast number of texts about there was this yeah. and then there was on this one, and on then one there hand, was this kind of nice like for a brief moment <laughs> I was sitting wasn't sitting there like wallowing in my own shit. Yeah. I was kind of like Cuz you were wallowing in every <laughs> <laughs> right. like, sometimes like you know it, that distraction where you're yeah. not in your head for 5 seconds, you know. And it can I mean you to know, sound I, shitty could be kind of entertaining to watch what else is whatever what drama is going on in other people's yeah, lives. Say, I have a friend that has said before, like you know, I know people are supposed to say they hate drama, and she's like, I kind of love it. She's like, it's fascinating to watch. I don't want to be in it. Yeah. She's like, but it's great to see. And I'm like, I mean, well, yeah. I don't want it to impact me, but it's 
interesting to yeah. watch it play I'm out. like, if it's going to happen, I at least would like to be able to watch and be entertained. So I, I don't know how... Eat your popcorn. I don't know how applicable a bullet is, but I was listening to a book today, and someone was in the hospital. Listen to books, Steve. You read them. <laughs> it was an audio book, and I was listening to it. And uh, someone was in the hospital, and uh, it was going through a certain amount of a, a painful procedure, and there, the, the people that were there around them were cracking jokes, and, and the nurse took everybody out, and it was like, oh shit, now I have nothing to do except deal with my pain. So sometimes... Was it Patch Adams? Were you listening to Patch Adams? No. <laughs> so sometimes... Was it Harry Potter? <laughs> yes. That's hey, beside the point. <laughs> That's beside the point. It may... Okay, first of all, as someone who's been in the hospital, attacked by a German shepherd, um, having people around you who can distract you when there are painful procedures going on, you, it's amazing how much you, having someone around you, someone who can help lift you up, distract you, lift you up, I don't know what you want to call it. Sometimes you're borrowing their happiness while they take on and absorb some of your sadness, even though they don't feel the pain, so their sadness then goes away. But you get to borrow from some of their happiness and some of their joy, and it counteracts what you're feeling. And I think there's something to that. And even though I was reading Harry Potter, listening to Harry Potter today is not the important point. Was it when Harry's arm was broken and he had to go and get it fixed and they had to shush. regrow the bone? It was. 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 They had shush. to regrow the bones? Is that it? Shush! Okay. <laughs> yes, it was I all about Skeletor, volume two. <laughs> anyway. So, so the, the, well, I think the, the problem that I have in dealing with people who, I struggle with what to say. Like, I want to help, and I run out of stuff to say. So I find myself saying, I'm sorry, a lot. And oh, I've yeah. had people... I say, I'm sorry, and that sucks. And I've had people I've had people who, who, who are like, don't understand that I'm sorry, because they're like, well, you didn't do anything wrong. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm expressing my sympathy for the situation. I'm not accepting blame. Yeah, I'm going to say, I didn't do it. I know. No, I, 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 know I, I know I'm not to blame. I'm telling you I'm sorry, because I'm, I'm sorry you're having to deal with this, or I'm yeah. sorry you're having to go through with it. But that's often the best I can come up with, and I just don't know what else to do. And so I say it a lot, and then I feel like I don't... I don't know that that accomplished anything. I, I hope, yeah. but it it's difficult being on that end of things too because you really there's nothing yeah. I can do. To, I always to say I'm sorry. Well, I shouldn't say that because everybody's gonna be like she says the same thing to everyone. Now we're all gonna know that you're just you I'm have just, this. I'm just, I have a this list of bullet response, yeah. and so now every time you text me, I'm be like that bitch. <laughs> exactly. This is part of Stephanie's <laughs> script. I have them all. I have them color coded. For what to use in what kind of situation. Are you a fucking robot? Is this what you've been programmed? This is my automatic response. Like an email. Notification (laughs) email. (laughs) Stephanie's out of the office. I'm sorry. That sucks. It's like the... Can I help you? So in uh, Gmail now, when you try to... They'll, there's a thing you can turn it off, but uh, they or introduce suggest you respond. Yeah, like it suggests response. Like so, it will look at the words in the email someone sent you, and it will suggest a response to it. <laughs> so, like, is that what you have now? Like, it just suggests a response. Facebook and you just can pick it. Facebook Messenger had a little thing like that for a while because when Jesse and me would message each other, like I would get a response back nice. later, and I'd be like, "Why did you send that?" And she's like, "I didn't," and I'm like. She's like, Dex must be playing with my phone. And I'm like, my God, is he just pressing buttons or can he read? He's three. I had this thing where I kept accidentally inviting someone to Facebook Messenger because I would go to click on something and it was like, do you want to invite them? And I would try to scroll past it and then it just fucking sent it. And I'm like, no, God damn. 
God Maybe. damn you, Facebook! Facebook knew you wanted to. <sighs> so is there anything else you wanted to share no. with the group, Christine? No. All right. Anything we haven't covered? <laughs> um, no, I'm just, you know, every day is a challenge for people who don't have visible pain. Like, a lot of people won't know that I'm sitting there in pain. So always be kind, and I guess that's really what it should be about. And, you know, it's unfortunate that there are people out there who are addicts because of situations that they cannot control. Um, so just be kind. And have some compassion. Yeah. Because you don't know someone's story. Yep. And you can't tell just by looking at someone what they've been through. And someone who looks like they're perfectly okay and has everything together could actually be dealing with a tremendous amount of pain that you don't even understand. And someone who looks like they might be your idea of like a, a, a worthless waste of a human being could be someone who is a, a decent hard-working person that fell on hard times and and through a series of illnesses and injuries and unfortunate sh- circumstances yeah shitty prescriptions ended up in a situation that they never would have, have gotten and if it hadn't been for a lot of unethical people pushing them down a bad path so I and think if the it, only answer we gave out today is try try to have some kindness and compassion. This is no endorsement for any particular religious institution. No, unless we can can we start a church of compassion? Yeah. Well, that would be a whole nother episode. Be nice. The church. Of if you can't be nice, stay at home and drink, <laughs> and stay away from everyone else. Be nice. If you can't be nice, shut the fuck up. That sounds. <laughs> that was shorter like that. to the point. That's a motto. Alright, so it's not a competition. We are all fucked up. Bye. Bye. We are not scientists, medical professionals, or mental health experts. We are simply two people interested in discussing a topic that affects everyone, either directly or indirectly. We are not expressing expert opinions, and anything we say should not replace medical advice or treatment. If you're struggling with depression or anxiety, especially if you are thinking of harming yourself or someone else, please seek the help of a mental health or medical professional. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. You can also chat with them online. Take care. My Asshole Brain was written and hosted by Amanda Green and Stephanie Coons. Artwork by Doug Tolles, produced by Stephen Beasley, and presented by Greasley Enterprises. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.